Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here with you for another episode. Chris, how are you this week? I'm good. I'm, I'm enjoying uh, my 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 pumpkin flavored cinnamon roll right now, and uh, uh, your wife is here. So. Yeah, I, I made a comment before we got on the air that uh, you and every other woman between the ages of thirty and fifty in America are probably sitting with you enjoying it right now. But I, I really wish I hadn't said that. But I, I, I digress. I digress. <laughs> um, th- we're going into uh, we're doing something a little special this week for me. It was when we started this podcast. I had a list of bands and albums that I wanted to cover. I had this album pegged for September of this year, hoping that we would still be doing the podcast in September of this year, just because of how special this album is for me and what this band really did for me 25 years ago. So I thought the timing was great. But before we get into Tools Anima, anything, uh, I listened to anything good this week that's uh, worth mentioning? Yeah, like a bunch of stuff came out. Um, I, I, me and you have always talked about our uh, mutual love for the Swedish band Machine Supremacy, and they came out with a new single called Pendulum. Um, you know, North Tail, another band that um, is slated to play at Prague Power next year, a uh, power metal band with, um, I don't know that they have like a, a home-based country. This is a bunch of different artists, uh, Bill Hudson, guitar player being one of them, they released um, a new single from their upcoming album, Eternal Flame, and that song is uh, Only Human. Dream Theater released another single um, from their upcoming album and music video as well. Uh, the song's called Invisible Monster. And uh, and also um, an album that we kind of, I guess, broke, sort of, when we just talked with... Um, with Jens Ludwig from Ed Guy, uh, his new project, The Grandmaster, they have another single that was dropped called uh, Lunar Water, and that's going to be on their Skywards album that's slated for release by the end of the year. Um, so, yeah, those are some of the new singles that I heard this week. And uh, I, I, I was wondering if you were going to mention the new Jeff Scott Soro single. If so, I'll let you uh, take the reins there. Yeah, I, I wasn't going to mention it, but I'm glad you brought it up. Jeff Scott Soto released a new single um, with uh, one of a, one of our favorite singers that we've kind of talked about, I guess, on and off throughout you know our, our time doing this, which is Dino Jalusic. And, and the reason I bring this up is Soto is basically releasing a covers album. Um, he calls it the Duets Collection, Volume 1. And it's basically a lot of songs that he did throughout his career, but he's joining up with other, sing- uh, other singers to, to kind of re-release or reimagine some of these tunes. And so he just released a single for Don't Let It End um, with with Dino Jalusic, obviously going to the, uh, you know, to the classic Ingve song um, that he, he had done many, many moons ago. Uh, it's kind of like a who's who of, of, of artists that he's working on uh, with these tunes. Russell Allen is on there. Um, Johnny Gielli from uh, Hardline and Axel Rudy Pell, Matt's Levin, formerly of Candlemass and obviously Trans-Siberian Orchestra, Eric Martin. Uh, I, it's really just a, a who's who on this thing. And I'm kind of curious to hear the rest of it because I, I, I'm a fan of Soto's work and a lot of these tunes, generally speaking. But to hear them all come together with these other artists is a really, really interesting to me, I think. Yeah, I, I thought it was worth mentioning also because we had discussed that same Ingve album. Um, that that song was on, so I thought 100%. it was interesting. Yeah, yeah the, so, it's um, very very fitting, and 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 it's kind of uh, it'll be a nice uh, it'll be a nice touch. It was a great. I thought it was a great cover. I don't know what you thought of it, but I, I thought it was great. Yeah, I thought it was excellent. I mean, even just from a production standpoint, I mean, you're going to get such a an a, an increase in quality from a song that was recorded in in 1984, 85, whenever 86, whatever year it was. So I mean, even from that aspect, but. I mean, you have these two fantastic vocalists kind of going back and forth. You can't really can't really lose on this one. No, it's, it's and some it's, might, and some might argue the absence of Ingve also helps this <laughs> one. So. Yeah, there's there's no there's no. Um, let's just say this: the guitar work does not suffer here, despite the fact that Ingve is not on this. It's it's a very very good production, and the, and the guitar work is great. Uh, but I do I actually want to mention two other albums that I heard this week both of which uh, were very, very good, and one of which I think will definitely be on my top list at the end of the year. The first album is a band called Wisdom. Uh, They are a 
symphonic power metal band. Uh, I believe they're Italian. I, I could be wrong about that. They came out with a new album called Of Wonders and War. I, 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 I bring this up because if you are an old Nightwish fan, you are going to eat this band up. Um, they do the old Nightwish thing, but they do it very, very well. So I wanted to bring that up. And I found what I can only describe as my thrash metal album of the year. Uh, this is an album that I've listened to a couple of times now. And I was absolutely blown away. And the band is from the Netherlands. They're called Cryptosis. Uh, their album is called Bionic Swarm. And this thing was just phenomenal. It's actually on Century Media Records, which I guess should tell you a little bit about what this band is. Uh, but it's 10 tracks. It's a relatively short, digestible album. It comes in at just over 37 minutes, but I absolutely loved it. Um, if thrash is not your thing, you may want to avoid it. But these guys are great. This is their first album under this cryptosis moniker. They had released two full-length albums under the name Distillator, but they uh, seem to have scrapped that and kind of just gone with this new name and changed of direction a little bit. And it's just absolutely phenomenal. So I wanted to mention mention both of those albums. Yeah, yeah. I got a chance to listen to both of them on your recommendation. And I agree with you on both counts. Wisdom's actually from France. I just looked it up. Oh, thanks um, for thanks for that correction. I, I yeah. was not sure about that. They're on Scarlet Records, which is an Italian label. I think that's why. Right. I, yeah. yeah. They, so they've they've had a lot of like uh, vocalist changes over the years, and so I don't know if if this one's going to stick. Um, the new singer uh, Marie McLeod is their current vocalist, but yeah, I definitely got um, like old Taria era Nightwish vibes from from this track. Um, so yeah, good stuff. And Cryptosis, um, I was surprised I hadn't um, seen them since they had the Mexican death match against Rey Mysterio Jr. at the ECW arena. Oh wait, I'm sorry, that was Psychosis. Oh, my bad. So yeah, um, so yeah, those are two good choices. Um, we should uh, post them during the week so everybody can give them a listen. Definitely, definitely. But uh, let's get to the reason why we're here, which is Tools Anima. The album came out in September of 1996. And I have just such fond memories of, of this album and this time and everything else. And I'll, and I'll get into that, I'm sure. But I want to ask you, as someone who really wasn't a Tool fan, had you heard of the band? Had you heard some songs by them? Or was this really your first dive into, into the band? Because oh. they're gigantic. Yeah, this is definitely like my first time really sitting down and, and ingesting. I think I had heard, I, I recognized the title track um, probably from like an old playlist that you'd sent me. And um, that was the only one I really kind of recognized. Um, but yeah, this was my first real kind of uh, deep dive into one of their albums. And I actually was curious how to pronounce the name of the album. So I looked it up and there was a, a clip from... I think from 1996 of um, one of the band members speaking to somebody from Australia about how to pronounce it. And he says that it should be pronounced Anima. So, ah, well, um, I've been saying that wrong for 25 years. So, yeah, very so good. now you have, you're going to have to spend another 25 years trying to remember how to say it correctly. Like, uh, like me saying Tarja for 12 years and then having to change it. So, um, <laughs> but I just thought that was interesting. Cause like, I don't know what that, a and E that are smashed together are supposed to sound like. So you and my, me both. My, my apologies to Aether Realm. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was it was interesting and just to like on a, in a macro sense, I just got this vibe of like this uh, like mix of things. Like I got a, a, a little bit of a, a Rage Against the Machine vibe. I got a little bit of a Bush vibe. I got a little bit of a of a prog metal vibe. I don't know what band I would have compared them to in that sense, but I mean, I just feel like there's a lot uh, going on and, and it's kind of surprising that something that was this, um, I don't know what the right word would be to use, but something that, that, that's this like deep, I guess came out in 1996. It, it feels almost ahead of its time. Well, not only that, but the fact that like, these guys were on the radio and getting heavy radio play at the time. And I'll, I'll kind of just tell you a little bit about how I first heard them. I became a fan of the band during their prior album, which was called Undertow. And on that album was a song called Sober. And they played this song, not to be confused with uh, any other bands that have songs by the same name, but Tool Sober 
was just a song that I had heard. I think it was on 92.3 K-Rock in New York City. And they played this song over and over again. And I fell in love. 13-year-old me just could not get enough of that song. And I actually remember buying that album and then this new album had come out just on the heels of that. And if memory serves me correctly, they started releasing singles from Anima uh, in October of 1996 officially. But I remember a local radio station here, uh, 89.5 WSOU FM, which is really the um, college radio station for Seton Hall University in New Jersey. And I don't know if they got a advanced copy of the album, but I have memories of listening to songs from this album in June of 1996. And that was right before I moved from New York City to Long Island, where I still currently live. And I bring that up just because I, 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 it was at a time in my life where I was, I was moving. I was starting a new school that fall, uh, et cetera. It was shortly before we met. And, and I just said to myself, this stuff is phenomenal. And it kind of just took off from where sober left off. At least that's how I remember it. But everything seemed to come together, uh, in September of that year with the actual release of the album. And, and it, it's funny because I have a lot of thoughts now that I definitely didn't have 25 years ago. And I'm, I'm sure we'll get into that. Um, but I, you're right. I, I actually do hear things like Rage Against the Machine and Bush and other things that would come both before it and after it. It's such a unique album and, and it's a long album. It's kind of a – it doesn't feel like 77 minutes, although there is some stuff on here which I scratch my head and I say, why is this on an album at all? Um, yeah, I I definitely agree with you there. Um, I was just going to say, oh, it makes sense that – this would be something that you gravitated towards because it really is kind of this marriage of alt, alt rock and, and metal. And so you kind of, you, you know, I, I could speak the same for myself is that like I was in the early to mid nineties, I was like a huge fan of, of you know, American alt rock. And then, um, and then in the late nineties, I became a huge fan of metal. So this band makes a, a lot of sense as being almost like a, a conduit for you to go from being an alt fan to a metal fan. So, um, totally makes sense. Well, that's just it. I mean, before we had heard the, the infamous mixtape with your Stradivarius and your fate's warning, it wasn't that big of a bridge from what I was listening to because this is what I was listening to at the time, right? I was listening to Tool and I was listening to Metallica. And then all of a sudden I heard Stradivarius and my mind was absolutely blown. And that was kind of the progression. And before that it was it was, you know, it was Green Bay and Aerosmith. So like you can see the 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 progression and Tool was kind of the bridge for me in between modern prog metal, you know, Opeth, for example, and stuff I was listening to in nineteen ninety three and nineteen ninety four before this before you know before this was released. It, it's interesting. It's kind of a cool window into kind of what what brought you to where you are today, as far as a, a music fan. So exactly, and I think that that's part of the reason I really wanted to get into it because um, I'll say this from a macro sense before we get into some of the songs. When I look back at something like this, I acknowledge that there are fond memories. And so part of it is just that, you know, you, you have a soft spot in your heart and you go back to it and you say to yourself, you know, this is my childhood. This was a bridge band for me. I, I, I love it for what it is. But the reality is there were about a half dozen songs on here, which I would put up against anything because I love them. And then I would say that the other half of the album, I don't really like anymore. Um, some of this stuff is just so weird that I don't know if I either skipped it when I was 13 or 14 or what have you, or if I just simply ignored it because of the great stuff that is on here. But it's such an ebb and a flow that like it's it was a really interesting experience because I don't know that I ever looked back on it with the critical eye that I do now which obviously is the point of the podcast. But the reality is, you know, I, 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 I know some of these songs so, so well, but some of these other tracks, I'm like, I just, they, they, they lose me a little bit. And this is coming from a guy who now listens to prog, prog rock, prog metal, you name it, technical prog, prog death. I mean, you, you the whole gamut, but some of this stuff 
just really loses me now. Whereas other stuff I would, I would say is among the best music that I listen to. I, to me, like, especially when I first started listening to the album at the beginning of the week, I felt like I was really enjoying it. And then I felt like it got a little long in the tooth towards the end. And I think that the, the, the third eye final song, it was maybe misplaced, but if you take the nine other songs on the album that aren't um, segues and you leave out third eye, you have like a 56 minute really tight, really like solid album without the filler that I think might've been a little bit more digestible, but obviously I think for artistic reasons, the band made this album the way it is, you know, for, for a specific reason. I mean, I, I'm sure that you'll know more than, than me, but uh, as far as like the meaning behind some of these songs, I'm sure that they had opinions that they wanted to share about certain things. And um, I mean, I was convinced that like that whole, uh, that whole like answering machine message um, was like something that was, um, that was written. Like, but it turns out it was like a real voicemail, which I was like, Oh, that's hilarious. Voicemail. I probably wasn't a voicemail in 1996, but um, <laughs> it just, it, it's just, it's very interesting. Um, it's weird and, and might not even really seem like it belongs if you just want to focus on the musical aspect. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, this thing comes close to a, a full 80 minute album, which um, they definitely did everything in their power to, to fill out as much time as they could. They they definitely did. Uh, they were smart though. They they op- well, actually we'll get into the personnel. Uh, Maynard James Keen, vocalist, uh, obviously for for Tool and for uh, Pucifer and and for you know a host of other big time big time. Uh, Perfect Circle obviously comes to mind. Just uh, an, an interesting interesting voice and an interesting just kind of character in and of himself. Um, Adam Jones on guitar, Justin Chancellor on bass. And somebody who I just never appreciated in 1996, but boy, do I appreciate now, Danny Carey on drums. This guy is an absolute beast. And and he was always kind of regarded up there with the Portnoy's of the world. Never quite understood it, but my God, this guy is just phenomenal. Uh, I think you said it all. I I don't really, I'm not really familiar with any of these guys, so um, I don't really have much to to say, but um, this is, like I said, like a really... uh, kind of a first listen to from pretty much all of these guys. So there you go. They, they opened the album with what would ultimately be their first single, which would be released in October of 96. And it's called stink fist. But I, ironically, when, when this, when this uh, album and this song kind of hit it, if you will, uh, they were on MTV back when MTV played videos and they actually changed the name of this track because they just, didn't want to have Stink Fist as the name of the track. So they just called it Track One. And that was how it aired on MTV uh, for, for, for quite a while. One of the most accessible tracks on the disc and really just kind of an introduction for what the band's more normal material is. I, I think you'd agree. Yeah, I like this song a lot, and I think it's a good way to to kick things off. Um, this is one of the ones where I think the the guitar riffs really kind of give me a, a Rage Against the Machine sort of vibe. Um, but it's certain I don't know what it is about like where I was getting this Bush vibe from, but I don't and I don't know if the, the vocals or, or what, but I guess because Bush is oftentimes considered like post grunge and not 
grunge itself because of the you know them not really hitting it until like ninety five. Um, there's just certain aspects of this this album that kind of just made me think of Bush, and I can't really verbalize, I guess, what that is. But I mean, um, it, but this I'll, one definitely has a, a Rage Against the Machine flavor. I'll take I'll take a shot. Is it what you get a lot on this disc? Is this like? You have some ambient sounds throughout this track and, of course, on the rest of the album, but it has an industrial feel to it. And it's almost like industrial grunge. I don't know if that's even a thing. If not, I coined the phrase and we'll, we'll take credit for that. But it's like <laughs> this, it's like this industrial sound. And the other band that actually came to, to mind, not in, not in Stink Fist, but in some of the other songs was Prodigy. And I kept saying to myself, like, between Prodigy and, um, uh, what you call it? That German band, the uh... stabbing westward. No, no, ger- German band that like um, huge live show. I'm sure it'll come to me. But like, oh, Ramstein. Yeah, that's it, and that's that's it, and, and like it's kind of a mix between the two because you got that industrial sound with that like driving guitar, but not not like an '80s metal guitar, more of like an alternative or, or guitar with, with that industrial sound, and that's kind of the vibe I got throughout most of this disc. There's some other references that I that I see on here and we'll we'll get to that in a second but I think this was like the perfect single for for the album guitar driven with these riffs doesn't really have like a traditional guitar solo that you would get from uh you know George Lynch and Dokken like we talked about but it's just it's not quite prog not quite metal not quite hard rock it's just tool they kind of have a sound in and unto themselves um and and for me just after the instrumental section from about the 330 mark on I think it's like the absolute perfect song. I just, I, I love this song. It was obviously the first thing I heard off the album, and it's what I remember hearing on WSOU. I, I can't say enough good things about it. Yeah, I, yeah, definitely agree with that. Uh, um, some of those comparisons to um, industrial bands. I, there's a little bit of Nine Inch Nails is another band I didn't think of until just now. Um, it's, it's just interesting because. I mean, to my knowledge, nobody really attempted to kind of marry these types of, of genres into this one band the way Tool did. And, and um, I didn't realize, like, how long they were around for. All I, The thing I know most about Tool is that it became like a running joke of when is the next Tool album going to come out? And then when it finally came out, everyone was just kind of like, eh. <laughs> you know, like they, waited, they waited for so long that it was almost impossible for it to live up to any sort of the expectations that were given. Um, so yeah, I, I really had no clue how far back this band went. Yeah. It's funny because they, even to this day, they sell out every arena that they play in. So you're not talking about a band that's playing club shows 25 or 30 years into their career. When they announce a tour, they sell out virtually every arena that they play. And I, it's a band that I got to see live once and it was on their last tour for their most recent album, Fear Inoculum. And, and I say to myself, I'm so happy that I finally got to see them live because it was kind of just like a, you know, I wasn't going to shows in 1996. So this was like kind of a make good for when I was a kid. Um, and they're very, very good live, very, very tight. And the production is top notch. Um, but I kind of wish I would have seen them back in this era when they were playing more of this classic material, because I, I just, it's, you know, it's what I grew up on. So I, I, I love it. Um, the uh, second, you know, I, I just yeah. wanted to point out, I, I, I was talking to a, a friend of mine who she loved this album in the nineties. And it was kind of funny. She knew more about this than I did. And I was talking to her and I was like, do you want to fill in for me on the podcast? Um, she's, she, um, she goes, she said that she saw them live and they were awful. <laughs> so, really? Yeah, See, but I, I don't know. I don't know when that was. I mean, it could have been in the late '90s, for all I know. Um, I forgot to ask her when it was, but she said that she was not impressed by their their live show. But um, interesting. Could I, have been I, an off night, you know. You know, it's funny, and it's a band I'll mention a little bit later when we get to the news segment. But I'll just put it in here. One of the bands I was going to mention later is Red Hot Chili Peppers. I'll, I'll get to the news later. It's a funny band because as much as they have that alternative hard rock funk thing going on. Everyone has said to me that they are the greatest live band from this genre or era. And I, and I saw them once and they were terrible, like absolutely terrible. But the irony is that everyone that saw the show I went to, and this has to be back in what, 1999 or something like that, 2000. 
everyone says that it was just a terrible performance and that every other time they've seen this band, they were great. So maybe it was, was that, just an off night. Was that the show where the Stone Temple Pilots opened? Yes. Uh, I was with you. Um, oh, there you go. I also, yeah. I also think it didn't help their case that Stone Temple Pilots totally like blew everything away on their, they, they opened and they, and I had always heard that their sets were always hit or miss depending on what kind of condition Scott Weiland was in. And yeah. he, he was, um, he was very lucid and, and, and he looked like he was like ready to go. And that, I just think, remember thinking to myself, the chili peppers have quite the act to follow. So yeah. that probably didn't help their case. A hundred percent. And and it was just funny because you kind of flipped both bands that night where the band that you thought was going to steal the show underwhelmed, to, to put it mildly. And the band that was you were kind of hoping did something great just blew me away. So it was kind of interesting. And I thought I, I, I'd shoehorn that in when we're talking about bands that just surprise or surprise us live one way or another. Um, getting back to Anima for a second, the, the second track on this album is another one, which is unique for a, a number of different reasons. Eulogy has about a two minute intro, which is, I don't want to say unnecessary, but I don't know that it's they unnecessary. Know. Yeah. It's, it's like a fan. <laughs> it's a fantastic song from the two minute mark on, but it was a little over self-indulgent with those first two minutes, but it's a favorite of mine. It has this slow build uh, with these, with, with obviously the, the, you know James's vocals over the guitars and drums, and it actually does sound like he's giving a eulogy to someone. So I think it's aptly named. Um, I thought that the production here always suffered because you really—I was never sure what what Maynard was saying, and the phrasing was a little bit awkward. He kind of uses something called a—I guess like a megaphone or something—to project his vocals. But again, here, here, much like Stinkfist, the second half of this song is so good, and it's very, very proggy. Uh, you know, it's heavy, it's powerful, got a lot going on here. But I just love it, and 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 even up to the final note where he holds the goodbye, phenomenal. Yeah, clearly he watched too many matches with Jimmy Hart managing <laughs> as, as a kid with the megaphone. But um, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, I felt the same way um, about like. I just felt kind of like, all right, get to the song already. But um, once it gets going, yeah, the um, the bass line is really uh, prominent and really awesome. I, I think that this is uh, definitely feels like a more bass guitar driven type of song. Um, but totally. yeah, another really good track, a good way to start. But I just feel like after all that momentum from the first track to have like this two minutes of kind of nothing um, kind of takes some of the momentum away, but then they kind of just pull it back in with this really strong performance. Good tune. Yeah, I totally agree. Third tune is a tune called H and uh, apparently it's about Maynard's son. I'm not a hundred percent sure why it's kind of a mysterious tune. The irony is it, I believe, and I could be wrong about this. It was actually released as the second single. Uh, although I never heard it on the radio and it was released in early 1997. I'm not a huge fan of this track. I feel like something is missing. Almost reminds me of Smashing Pumpkins in a sense, uh, definitely with the guitar tune. A good song, but not one of my favorites. And I, it's something that just never really clicked for me. And I, I can't really explain why. Did you Did you enjoy this tune or was it like eh for you as well? Yeah, it, it's, it kind of reminded me of, of, you know, if you ever listen to like any of interviews with, with Kurt Cobain, um, he would talk about how much the, the Pixies were an inspiration for Nirvana, especially in the way that like they would kind of go between like really soft passages and then like dive right into something really heavy. And I feel like this track kind of is similar in that way, where it's just kind of like, it's almost like, like a macho man, Randy Savage promo where he's like, I'm going to talk a little quiet and I'm going to get it really loud. And like, so it, it, I don't know that if it flows that greatly, um, this wasn't, really this was probably like up until this point my least favorite of the first three tracks um it's a little meandering but um it's fine i mean again like really i really enjoyed the the bass work especially towards the end of the song but um i didn't think it was as good as the first two tracks personally yeah it, it I, definitely I, I kicks in towards the end with the with uh, gets heavy again but i mean i just feel like it never gets out of you know second or third gear I completely agree. And then we get to the first of, I guess we could only be described as like an ambience track called Useful Idiot. And it's really just the sound of like a vinyl record 
at the end of its play with the needle kind of just bumping up against the record. I always thought it was the sound of something burning as a kid, but I guess I was wrong about that. It's really just the sound of a vinyl, uh, you know, like I said, of the vinyl record coming to an end. To me, it's just a waste of 38 seconds, but it's not the longest track in the world, so it doesn't matter. I don't well, did you did you read this? This is this is hilarious. I just read this that they put it on here to trick people who were listening to the album on vinyl to think that the the side A had ended. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, like it's that that's that's too old. I mean, I it's like they 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 definitely move to the beat of their own drum. It's thirty eight seconds. I don't know that I'm going to spend more than thirty eight seconds talking about it. I'll just get to forty six and two, which is a like. One of my favorite tracks of all time. What do you yeah, think about it? I just, I, um, before we recorded, I ran out to Dunkin' Donuts to get some coffee and I put this song on, um, in the car and it was like, it's like a cool, like, driving song. Like, I had the window open. It's like beautiful fall weather here. And like, I was just like, yeah, man, like, rock out. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's, uh, this is, this is one of those tunes that I love driving to as well. I have, I've just, I love it. You know, you talked about the bass earlier. The bass intro here drives the entire track. And then all of a sudden these cymbals kick in. And it is, it, it's how they ended their first set when I saw them live right before the encore, the encore. This, this is where Danny Carey really begins to shine. And it was love at first listen for me. Um, it is a phenomenal outro and it's just one of their groovy, proggy, uh, heavy tracks. This to me is why I fell in love with Sewn 20 years later. This track is what Sewn is doing when you just throw in a little Opeth. This, then this is why they're one of my favorite bands, both live and in the suit, in the studio. This is gold. I mean, absolute gold. Uh, I'm, you know what? I, I'm gonna just put, make it my song of the week. I, I absolutely love Love, love this tune. I, I, I could have gone a number of different ways with it, but as I'm, as I'm thinking back, this is really what with the precursor for my love of modern Prague. said i i I think um maynard's vocals really shine on this song um and you really get that kind of like i feel like he really channels his his 90s alt voice in this song it's really a a cool combo of of that kind of uh that like that industrial grunge copyright justin um, (laughs) sound that that he invented apparently 25 years ago but hasn't been termed until now um yeah i like this song a lot too um uh, is there any truth to the fact that this was in response to chicago's 25 or 624 or... <laughs> no. it's just a nasty nasty rumor although that's oh, another okay. great track in its own right that's that's really funny the the basic premise behind the whole track is that it's basically a a a, a cry for personal positive change or, or a personal transformation which is kind of cool as well i think you can certainly get that from the lyrics um there are actually websites that are dedicated to kind of dissecting and understanding the lyrical content and, and, and what is going behind a lot of these songs. Um, so if you want to do some further reading or some further homework, it is definitely out there. Uh, you know, we're kind of just scratching the surface so that this doesn't turn into a four week podcast, but it's, it's, there's a lot going on here. And, and <laughs> if you think 46 and two is complicated, wait until we get to, 
message to Harry Manback. I feel like uh, I just heard Mike turn the podcast off because you said the word homework. Yeah, <laughs> for for many, it's it's you know it's it's not the most accessible thing for for many, or at least a lot of these tracks aren't. And so I'm not I'm not I'm not surprised. Uh, message to Harry Manback. What what were your thoughts when you first heard this? Because I can't imagine that they were positive. I just like at first I'm like, oh, this is like this haunting piano intro. I'm like, this is interesting. And then, and then some guy just (laughs) starts talking and I'm like, what the hell is this guy going on about? And my initial thought was that, that they like script, like scripted this thing. And it was just like, it's, it's just like this artistic whatever. And I I go on to find out that it's actually a real, um, a real voicemail from, uh, it's, I guess I'll just read it from um, Wikipedia. It says, The person who left the message was a visiting Italian friend of Green Jelly member Gary Helsinger. Uh, Helsinger and Keenan were roommates at the time of the incident, and Helsinger had earlier ejected the guest from the apartment for eating most of their food and running up an excessive phone bill. The name Harry Manback is a reference to a comedy routine by Bill Hicks. A follow-up message from the same guest became message to Harry Manback 2, found on Slival, which features strings instead of piano. So I didn't even know there's a sequel to this. I mean, of, of all the songs on this album that <laughs> deserved a sequel, I mean, other than Useful Idiot, this has to be number one on the list. You you, you, you can't make it up, and, and I'll just leave it there. It's one of the most, um, I don't know, creepiest tracks I've ever heard in my life, and it scared, it scared me beyond belief as a kid. And ironically, there's a track on here that scared me even more when I was 14. So we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, not to be outdone, we get to Hooker with a Penis. This this track had two things going against it. A, the name of the song, and B, the cursing throughout. But if you take away both of those things, this is a radio song, in my opinion. It is a, I love this track, and I always have. Um, I'll give it the award for like the best song with the worst title. The, 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 <laughs> I thought you were going to say best song with the word penis. <laughs> also, also true. Um, it's like a fun song on a dark album. It's it's really catchy, and I love the imagery here with the lyrics, where he's talking about this guy sitting down, you know, basically talking about in between sips of coke. He told me he thought we were selling out. I just thought it was like great imagery about the guy wearing the vans and the five hundred ones. You can kind of just see this whole thing happening in like a diner somewhere. I low key think this is one of the best tracks on the album. Yeah, I like this one a lot, I, and I agree. Like the the title is not doing it any favors, but um, it's uh, it, it makes sense when you think about it. Like that he was accused, you know, the band was accused of selling out, and it's kind of like, well, I guess I'm a hooker with a penis. Like, yeah, it, yeah, it and that's and that's what this is about. It, the whole song is about the band, basically an old fan thinking the band sold out, and and. Well done. I just I love this track and, and going back and listening to it again. Uh, I probably enjoyed listening to that track more than the others this week, just because I don't know that I got the same play when I was a kid as some of the others. But I, I love it. I absolutely love it. Uh, yeah, this one was one of the bigger earworms for me for listening to it for the first time. Um, I found myself um, like getting the the chorus in my head. Like I, I heard, I thought of, I was hearing it in my head this morning when I woke up. Believe it or not, so. That says something for sure. We get to this. I woke inter- up with a hooker with a penis. <laughs> we we get to this like inter intermission uh, track, which is another kind of like keyboard filler track. Kind of reminds me of the circus. I don't know how else to say it. Yeah, well, I mean, this album is a circus, so it kind of makes sense. <laughs> uh, and then we get to Jimmy, which is like another kind of like a groovy track. Really, really sad tune. I, I believe it's like about overcoming uh, abuse and, and sexual abuse and stuff like that. Um, and it's actually a sequel to one of their earlier tracks, Prison Sex. Um, just a, a, a really dark track. Not not one of my favorites, but kind of reminded me of Black Sabbath, just almost like a Doom-like vibe. Um, not not really a huge fan, and, and obviously the content is very deep. But did you – any thoughts on Jimmy? I liked how it – like how – it, intermission goes from kind of like this kind of like fun loving circusy kind of sound. And then it's like that same, um, that same kind of like notes, but 
then all of a sudden it switches over to Jimmy and it's like the same notes, but like in this dark and kind of creepy sort of way where it just kind of like turns the whole thing on its head. And it's like, you're listening to the same song, but now the song is angry and, and, and sad. And so I thought that was kind of interesting because I don't even think I realized when I was listening to this, that they were not the same song. Like it just kind of goes right into intermission goes right into Jimmy. So smoothly that I just thought it was the beginning of the song. Um, so yeah, this one's a little bit sadder. It's a little bit slower. Um, it's not, not my favorite song, but it's, it's good. I, I, I liked it. Um, not as much as some of the other ones I mentioned before, uh, but it's, it's all right. Uh, I didn't know about the, the, what the song meant. So I guess that kind of puts a downer on it a bit, but again, I'm sure it's their way of, of bringing, you know, things that matter to them, to the attention of, of the, the public. Totally, totally. And, and you get to the next track, which is uh, the English translation of which is the eggs of Satan, die Aravon Satan, which is obviously German. Um, this track scared the hell out of me when I was a kid. And I got to be honest with you, I'm pushing 40 still scares the hell out of me. I don't know how to describe this other than this, like this, this, prodigy type uh, sound with what can only be described as someone who sounds like Hitler over the back of it. I, I, I don't know what this track is. I have never liked it. And, (laughs) and and obviously I, obviously the, the, it's just like, it sounds like Nazi propaganda. I I hate this track. Uh, I think the only thing I really have to say about it is Sim Salabim Bombasala do solid them. <laughs> there you go. There, there you go. Well, well said. Um, um, I, well, the 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 <laughs> whole like background of what the the song is is actually more interesting than the song itself. And hundred percent that it's just they're reciting a recipe for a pot edible. <laughs> yeah, so, right. and, and so I have no issue with 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 like what the lyrics actually are. It's it's fantastic, and 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 the whole point is like things are not always at they as they seem. Sounds terrible. Sounds like Nazi propaganda. Meanwhile, it'll get everyone high and happy. So like I get it, but it's just it's just I, I could never get into this track, and I I did not have any more success this time around. Yeah, um, may try the recipe, but I, I have no 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 desire to uh, listen to the song again. Yeah, like so, it was originally um, cookies <laughs> that his, the Marco Fox's grandmother used to bake when I was a child without using eggs. Like this is this is wacky, and and I mean, eggs can also be a. Um, I think in in Spanish it can mean a huevos can all, is another word for for balls. So it's also can be construed as the balls of Satan. Um, <laughs> Never thought uh, about that. I'm not yeah, gonna lie. Well, 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 well thought of. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little weird. Um, but again, it's another one of those like weird. I, I consider, even though it's a little bit longer, I consider it another one of those like segue tracks. It kind of reminds me of um, Pearl Jam's Vitology album, where there was just like in between some of the songs, there was just like what really just felt like noise, like ambient noise. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I completely, fill space. completely, completely agree. Um, and then we get into one of like the the other epic tracks on the album, which is "Push It." This track. Oh, I thought it was "Push It." <laughs> potato, potato, my friend. Potato, potato. This track is nearly ten minutes, and I completely forgot about it. It's. I think it serves well as like a prelude to the albums that would follow it, in the sense that it was less commercial. Uh, definitely something that I like a lot more now than I did then, and it almost has parts where. It reminds me of Fish, the jam band. Uh, it, the instru- There's a three-minute instrumental section, which is phenomenal towards the end of the song. And it really just gives everybody, including including uh, Maynard, a chance to shine. I, I think it's an underrated track. Uh, I could imagine it being very good live, but it's a track that nobody ever talks about on this album. I've, I know I've never talked about it before. <laughs> <laughs> go for it now let's hear what you guys say about it yeah i mean i think this is starting to get to the point where i'm just kind of like at least at first i'm just kind of like all right like it's starting to drag a little bit for me i think it's like um you know a 10 minute mid-tempo song it's just kind of like eh, you know um it again kind of like uh jimmy it's just kind of like 
uh, it's fine. Um, it belongs on the album, but it's just not one of my favorite songs. Um, so yeah, it is what it is. I I don't really have much else to say about it. They, they go into this next track, which is just a baby crying and then some ambient noise, which almost sounds like birds chirping. It's called Cesaro some ability. And apparently it's a mathematical method that determines the summability of a sequence when it is not summable by the standard means. Basically, it's an infinite sequence that either diverges on a constant or goes to infinity. Made me think of calculus. And don't yeah, like we'll have to have uh, Ryan on the show to explain to us what the hell that means. But <laughs> I do know that this is um, Claudio Castagnoli's favorite tool song. So. <laughs> it's there is there is no doubt about that. It's it's uh, what else can you say other than thankfully it goes into another one of the best tracks on the album, the title track. I have to think you like this tune. Yes, um, quite a bit. And like I said before, it's it's one of the songs that I did know going into it, although not well, <laughs> but um, it, it, it just popped back into my head when I heard it again. And I, I enjoy kind of like the, um, the staccato and, and the way that he is, he, vo- he does the vocals on this. This is a pretty catchy tune. And for an almost seven minute song, it doesn't really drag. Um, good stuff. Um, I will say like on, on the whole, like this album is such a, a, it's such like a, 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 it's beyond my ability to verbalize. Um, it just is such a, a place in time. Um, like I, I think I had said to you early in the week, like listening to this album, this album sounds like 1996. Like it sounds like a year. Like, I don't know how that's possible. This is but, 1996. This is and, what and, I was- and, and I wasn't listening to it at the time. So it's not that it has any sort of nostalgic value to me. It's just that like, this reminds me of, kind of that pull away from you know like as as quickly as as grunge killed metal in the united states grunge was gone like a couple years later and this is kind of we got a little bit more of bands like like this and stabbing westward and nine inch nails in the the aftermath of grunge kind of going away and so um this just feels like it belongs exactly when it was recorded and released and i feel like the song is kind of the um i'd say it kind of sums up the whole album and the fact that it's almost the exact same name as the album kind of you know i guess it's the title track but it makes sense um yeah i like the song a lot as well um one of my favorites on the album for sure yeah, it's 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 an album, or I should say, a track that still gets radio play to this day. They they kind of edit down some of the instrumental sections, but it's really well done. And and to your point, a very catchy song, right? Like it's it's a track that just uh, I don't know, dark and ominous, but catchy at the same time. I guess is the way I'll I'll describe it. And uh, this was one of the ones that really I got a bush vibe from. I can hear that. I can hear that. Like on the on the. Uh, aftermath of 16th Stone, this was kind of like the next logical extension. I can totally, totally hear that. Uh, I love this track. It goes into Ions, which is another ambient track, kind of like your precursor to high school chemistry, I guess. Uh, another track that I don't quite understand or, or what they were getting at, but it's apparently uh, a tribute to Jacob's Ladder and 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 the, the, the buzzing sound that's caused by two metal rods. The, the Rush song? Them. No, no, no. Although you'd think so, uh, but or, or the or the, chem- or, or the chemical property of the two rods when they're close to each other, Rod Stewart and and Rod Serling. <laughs> I would imagine you're speaking of. It's 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 four minutes that I could have done without. I don't it's, know. How so to say it. the fact that there's like um, a minus sign in parentheses is that is it negative? Is it should be called negative ions or? Yeah, I guess, I guess that would be, I guess, I guess you're right. That's, that's good, good catch on your part. You're absolutely right. Um, yeah. Negative ions. That's, that's what we have. And then we get into the last track, which is, you know, something that we, we had actually joked about earlier this week. We usually don't talk about the albums in advance, but you had a lot to say about third eye. This track is a track that so many like longtime tool fans clamor for and gravitate towards they love this track it's the longest track on the disc as i said it is a fan favorite and 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 the fans just adore it um clearly a track that newer songs were modeled on i struggle with it it's got like this ministry prodigy allison chains vibe going on but at the same time i just 
it's just a little bit much for me, and I, I don't quite understand the love the love fest for it. It it's the keeper of the seven keys of grunge, uh, industrial grunge. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I guess there you have. Nobody's it. ever. I could safely say nobody's ever said that before. So. Yeah, I, I I think that that um that about sums it up. But it, it's just it's a little all over the place, and I think it lacked the co- the cohesion that some of the other tracks do. What what do you do? You have any thoughts about this one? Yeah, I felt like it took forever to really get going. Maybe that's the draw for some people that it's just kind of like this really slow build and um. The part towards the end where he just starts screaming about his third eye, I can't put my finger on what that reminded me of, but it was something so familiar and I still can't, I just don't know what to compare it to. I think the song definitely picks up a bit towards the end, but in all honesty, like I said before, like I feel like this album would have been okay without this track and, and maybe I'll get crucified by like some diehard Tool fans for saying that, but I just... I was ready for the album to kind of be over before this track even started. So for there to be another 14 minutes of like <laughs> this mid tempo kind of like, like really industrial sound, I was just kind of like, eh, like I, I can see the appeal. It's just not really my sort of thing. So I'm with you on that. Well, I think that kind of puts a bow on it. Obviously the band would come out with albums to follow. And and by that, I mean like it took a while for them to come out with their next release. Lateralist came out in 2001, five years afterwards, took another five years for 10,000 days to come out. And then in 13 years for their most recent effort uh, that I mentioned earlier, Fear Inoculum. Um, I don't believe they ever hit the heights of this album. Now, again, I, I think that I recognize now the inconsistency throughout it. But the high points are exceptionally high, and they just never even hit the high points with me with those other releases. Uh, I like them for what they are, but this was the one that made me a fan. Uh, you know, this and Sober that came before it, and, and I'll stick with it. I, I still think that the the highest of the highs are here, and some of the, the lukewarm stuff as well. You have to give a track of the week, and I'm kind of curious as to what you're going to choose. Um, I, you know, I, I had given consideration to 46 and two, which you chose. Um, I'm going to go with, um, I'm going to go with useful idiot. I, I just thought that that 39 seconds of, of vinyl, um, hiss really just, just, just resonated with you in a way that you had never expected. Yeah. And I'm, I'm fairly certain dream theater sampled that at the end of scenes from a memory. So, um, it's uh, in all honesty, no, um, I think I'm going to go, I, I mean, I love um, Anima, the song. I, I, I Like I said, I really enjoyed Hooker with a Penis, which I'll probably never say again. <laughs> um, but I think Stink Fist would be my, my favorite, honestly. Like, I just thought they really kicked off everything with this really strong tune. And I think that that's the one that um, I, I enjoy the most after listening to it a handful of times. So. That's going to be my choice. For someone that was never a fan of the band, I think it's actually very fitting because for a lot of people that heard this band for the first time in 1996, this was their gateway drug to the band. So I think that it actually is a very fitting choice. Yeah, I I almost knew it when I heard it. Like <laughs> I hadn't heard the rest of the album. I'm like, this is probably going to be my song of the week, isn't it? Like, <laughs> I'm just never going to recover from this this track. So uh, curious um, hearing – what you know I'll, that you reminisce 25 years later and and kind of pick apart the things you like things you don't like what, what do you give this album on a scale of one to ten after 25 years i think that if the album was tighter it would have actually been a 9.5 for me or maybe even closer but i think that there's just stuff here that you have to kind of like wade through or like swim through no pun intended in order to get to the to the gems on here if you would have asked me without the discerning eye, even five years ago, based on nostalgia, I think I would have given the album a nine and a half. I am going to give it an eight and a half. And I think it's because some of this stuff is perfect to me and other stuff I never have to listen to again and I'd be perfectly okay with it. So a little bit of nostalgia there, uh, but but it's an eight and a half w- with the benefit of hindsight and actually going down from where it was, but not to the point where I didn't like it. Because again, there's a half dozen tracks on here, which I simply adore to this day. What about you? I, I You know what? I'm giving it a rating that I did not think I would be this high. 
Um, but I, I'm just going to give it a, a really like solid 7.0. I, I enjoyed this a lot more than I thought I would. It's not my favorite type of music in the world, but the songs that I enjoyed, I really enjoyed. I just wish there was less, um, less filler, less kind of like mid tempo kind of, uh, meandering, like I said before type stuff. But, um, overall, I thought it was a, a strong album. Um, so yeah, that, that would be my, uh, my rating would be a, a 7.0. I, I think that's a really good rating. Um, especially for someone like you that gravitates towards the power metal. There's none of that here. And, and honestly, the, some of this stuff just lacks melody. So I think that that's a really, really good score and a testament to some of the, the tracks on here and how good they are. Um, so I'm, I'm glad we got to do this. This was fun for me. It really brought me back to the time when I kind of, again, I had just moved away from New York City and, and it was, you know, many months before you and I had met and a lot of our friends had gotten together. So this was a, a nice trip down memory lane for me. So thanks for thanks for indulging me with this one. We will get to our next album uh, uh, that we're going to do, which is obviously a request being that it's going to be the first uh, show for October. But before we do, some uh, some news items that I think are of note. Uh, first, a band that I mentioned earlier, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, are doing a stadium tour next year. I was never a huge Chili Peppers fan, and the show that I went to uh, that we had talked about earlier was just me doing a make good for my sister who really wanted to see them at the time, and I happened to enjoy Stone Temple Pilots. Part of me wants to go to this tour just to see if that show was actually an anomaly. Uh, I'm kind of curious to see what they are really like live, especially now over 20 years later. Uh, I thought it'd be worth mentioning that tour. Um, Have you seen them since, or was that your one and only time? That was my one and only time. They they happen to be my uh, my sister's boyfriend's favorite band. So if he was uh, if he asked me if I would go with him to see them again, I would totally be up for having my opinion of them uh, rectified. I guess from that one show that just you know who knows maybe everybody got bombed in the middle of the day and it was just like an off an off performance. But like you, I wasn't super impressed. I mean. It was good. I mean, to, to be honest with you, it, it wasn't bad, but like we were kind of promised like a really <laughs> a amazing show and it was just not quite at our expectations. So yeah, I would definitely like, I mean, maybe they're older, they're a little uh, less apt to getting crazy before the show and maybe they'll be a little more focused. I don't know, but no, no I, I just know that. Stage this time? Yeah. I mean, who knows? Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, Flea is is regarded as one of the rocks like all time greatest bass players, and Anthony Kiedis is uh, such a unique and, and fantastic voice. Um, so yeah, I, w- I would be interested to see them. I-, I feel like if they threw in maybe like a, a fun opener, that would really kind of push me to really want to go see him, like like Bush, like we mentioned before, or um, something kind of similar to the to the time. Um, you know, I would Pearl think Jam. on a stadium tour they're going to bring somebody. <laughs> yeah, Pearl Jam. I, I think you would be there. I could be. I could be playing with Pearl Jam. I think you'd go to that show. God forbid. I, I think that if they're going to do a stadium tour, they're going to bring somebody um, worth their weight with them. I'm not sure who it is, but I, I have to think so. Yeah, I mean, hey, it could be Stone Temple Pilots again. I would not complain. Although, obviously. Uh, Scott Weiland no longer with us, but um, I I would love to see them. I thought they were just so good, Um, so good. Another band that certainly fills up stadiums and is coming out with a new EP is Guns N' Roses. They're due to to release their new EP next February, and it's called Hard School, and that's S-K-O-O-L. Obviously, the band is still trying to cling to their youth, I guess, but whenever anyone says new Guns N' Roses, I immediately think it's going to be terrible, but have to hear it just because I'm curious. <laughs> so that's that's Guns N' Roses. At least, at least you're honest. Yeah, I, I hold back no punches. Have they, then, have they released any new material since Chinese Democracy, like even a, a single or anything? Um, I think or they is just that... released uh, two songs off of this EP. I have not yet heard them, so I will. Oh, I will okay, not but, nothing, but nothing before that. I, I don't think so. I just remember hearing Chinese Democracy and being grossly disappointed. Yeah, I didn't hate it. I remember actually being surprised it was as good as it was because I think my expectations is almost like the opposite of 
what we were talking about with Tool, where they took so long to release an album that it was impossible to live up the expectations. But I think Axl Rose had become such a parody of himself that I think everybody was expecting it to be terrible. And so <laughs> when I actually heard it, I was like, this actually is not bad. Like, I, I remember enjoying it. I mean, it was no use your illusion or, or appetite for destruction. But um, I remember it being fine. Like, I, I, I didn't, I wasn't disappointed. I, I didn't love it either. But um I'm actually going to, I'm jumping on iTunes right now and I'm going to buy these, uh, these two new singles and give them a listen. Nice. I, I have to hear them myself. I, I think they were released. Obviously the full EP is going to come out in February. Uh, ne- never a band that um, is not a fun- fan of the slow tease being that it's almost six months away and it's only four tracks and they've already released some of them, but I digress. That's Guns N' Roses for you. Uh, one other thing that I wanted to mention, which I thought was interesting uh, the band Metallium, the German power metal band, released a new single called Never Surrender, and it was a tribute to Lars Ratz, their original bass player. Uh, I did not know that he passed away, but apparently he passed away in a plane crash or a plane accident uh, a number of years ago. Uh, well, actually, I should say earlier this year, but he left the band in 2013. Uh, it was a very, very good song and a fitting tribute um, to a band that I really, really liked their first couple of albums back in the early early 2000s. Uh, so if you haven't heard that, I definitely recommend everyone checking that out. Yeah, this is a band I just never really got into, not because they I didn't like them, but just because I never really listened to much that, that they did. Um, I just know that... Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, but they're one of those bands that seems to have a a, a large uh, or a, a commonplace revolving door with members. Um, For I, sure. I remember, I remember talking to, oh my God, back in high school, Mark Cross, who was their drummer at one point, and he was pegged to be Halloween's new drummer. Um, and then he got, I want to say that he got a mono or something and he couldn't perform and he ended up getting replaced. But I remember him actually reaching out to me and back before we were really talking to band members i mean this is before facebook and stuff and he was a super nice guy um but i just remember thinking to myself i think at some point i kind of looked at like their their personnel changes and it looked like there was a lot so uh, i could be wrong i I don't know but um that was kind of the the impression i gave to myself so yeah uh, well well said um they have been a, a revolving door for some time uh, they have some good tracks. I don't know that it's like my favorite band, but they're, it's definitely worth a listen. I thought that this new single was very good, though, so I, I, I will try to post that this week and definitely recommend people check that out. Um, and I guess that brings us to next week, which is obviously – Oh, yeah. I had one, I had one oh, yeah. news Go ahead. item I wanted to mention. Sorry about Bring it that. On. Um, uh, last week, um, I had mentioned that there was a cool uh, like prog metal uh, tour between um, – do you remember who it was? I already forgot because I Opeth and Mastodon. Yes, Opeth and Mastodon. Um, another cool co-headlining tour that was announced is a uh, 26 date co-headlining tour between um, Ghost and Volbeat, um, which I think are two of the more uh, popular metal bands, um, at least here in the U.S. Um, Volbeat kind of blew up, um, I think, after they had went on tour with Metallica, opening for them. Um, I mean, if you're into just kind of like that um, classic classic style of heavy metal, it's not really power metal. It's not really prog metal. Um, I mean, Ghost, sometimes I'm not even sure they're a metal band as much as they are just a really good hard rock band. But um, this is a, a really cool, um, a really cool uh, tour. And, and, and I, I heard that this band, Twin Temple, that's opening for them is – a, a, um, a satanic doo-wop band, which certainly sounds very interesting. <laughs> I'll tell you, I've never heard of the band. I've never heard of the genre, but since we've been making up genres for the last hour, I feel like it's fitting. I have to hear that. I'm just so curious. Um, I don't know that I'm going to like it, but I'm very, very, very curious. Uh, it, it should be an interesting tour. I think it's worth getting there for the opener. If for no other reason, then I think it's worth hear, hearing the satanic do up because you're probably not going to hear that again. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting tour between two of the bigger bands that are kind of like low under the radar for some, but like, I mean, they have millions and millions of fans between the two of them. So that's pretty telling. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked to see some of those uh, arenas sell out. I mean, it, it's, it's impressive what both bands have been able to do. So, um, especially in metal, which is such a hard 
genre to kind of crack into arena shows, especially in the U.S. So, you know, cheers to them. Yeah, cheers to them is right. And then, uh, that, like I said, that brings us to next week, which we are uh, going back to September of 2009, uh, where we have a request from Rob Hamilton, listener of the show. And he had asked us to cover Lords Set in Stone. Lord is a Australian power metal band uh, that has been around for quite some time, uh, and this was one of their uh, one of their, I guess, more successful albums. And uh, one of my favorite tracks on here is "Be My Guest," but we'll get to that next week. I just thought that this was a really good selection and a nice contrast to uh, some of the uh, '90s alternative prog that we were listening to this week. Yeah, um, I'm looking forward to this. Lord's a band that, like, the songs that I know, I, I'm a big fan of but there's way more songs i'm not as familiar with especially because um they were also the band dungeon before they were lord and released at least three or four albums as dungeon prior to being lord so they have quite a back catalog of material um i know the song set in stone very well it's a staple of their live set they played it at prog power i believe when they opened um the first day of four, one of the most impressive uh, crowds I've ever seen for an opening band at Prague power. And I'll, I'll talk about that next week, but I'm um, looking forward to this um, big fan of uh, Andy Dowling. Who's um, one of the members of Lord is just one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. And uh, we actually have an interview lined up with him uh, to coincide with this episode. So I'm really looking forward to that. Andy has his own podcast, so he's no uh, stranger to, talking into a microphone about stuff. So uh, I think he'll be a very uh, excellent guest and it'll kind of keep this nice run of, of uh, interviews that we have going. Um, unfortunately, Maynard from, uh, from tool wouldn't answer any of our calls, but um, <laughs> we, we do have uh, Andy from Lord, which I think is, uh, is just as good. <laughs> we, uh, we, we are looking forward to that. And uh, with that, I hope you have a nice week. I know you and I have a, uh, a very fun week in store ourselves. So uh Hopefully after we recover after the wedding, we can uh, do Lord some justice when we record next weekend. Take it easy, bud. I will see you soon. All right. I I really enjoyed this uh, for an album that I knew nothing about going in. Um, It was a lot of fun. So uh, good choice. Thanks, my man. I will uh, catch up with you soon. Take it easy. All right. Take care.